Welcome to our worship today from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar, in this season of Eastertide. The hymn at the end of the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. God, our Redeemer, you have delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Grant that as by his death he has recalled us to life, so by his continual presence in us he may raise us to eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading is from Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because, and because I live, you also will live. 
On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are, says St Paul as he stands in front of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was the place where the governing council of Athens gathered, so perhaps we might imagine Paul standing in Parliament Square in front of the Palace of Westminster. Just like Parliament Square, the Areopagus was a place where people came to lobby, to debate with others, to share ideas and put the world to rights. It was a place of power and influence. But also, like Parliament Square, it wasn't just a political space. Parliament Square is also the home of at least three places of worship. Westminster Abbey, St Margaret's Church and Methodist Central Hall. Reminders of the historic influence of religion on the national life. The streets around the Areopagus were the same, lined with shrines to the many gods and goddesses venerated by the Greek people and those of the travellers who came through this port city. Religion was everywhere. It was even reflected in the name of this meeting place. Areopagus means the hill of Ares. Ares was the god of war. I don't know whether that was meant to reflect Athens' military might or perhaps suggest that the council's deliberations were sometimes very bad-tempered. Maybe it was a bit of both. Some nations cling very doggedly to the idea of the separation of church and state. The US and France, for example. They try to insist that religious beliefs have no influence on government or state institutions. And some would like the same thing to happen in the UK. But in reality, whatever the official position, and whatever the advantages and disadvantages of such a separation, it's never possible to remove religion entirely from the public square, because, as Paul observed, people are intrinsically religious, even the ones who claim not to be. People believe things about themselves, about the world, about what matters in life, and many of those beliefs can't be backed up with any kind of scientific evidence. Ask any school leader whether they think all the children in their schools matter equally and are equally deserving of their time and energy, and they'll say yes in a heartbeat. Ask any lawyer whether some people should have fewer legal rights than others, and they'll say no, or at least I hope they will. Our education and legal systems are built on the premise that everyone matters and should be treated with equal dignity. That sounds completely obvious to us, even if, if we aren't always good at putting it into practice. But why do we believe this? In reality, there's a good scientific argument for saying that if resources are limited, they ought to be put into those who'll benefit most from them and be able to give back the most. Parents of baby birds will feed the biggest chicks at the expense of the one who's weakest letting it die so its healthier siblings can live. 
Human societies have sometimes done that too. In ancient Rome, it was thought to be irresponsible and unpatriotic to let disabled babies live, and they were often abandoned or killed at birth with state sanction, so that precious resources wouldn't be wasted on them as they saw it. Nazi Germany took the same view, and many dis disabled people will say that it lingers on just beneath the surface still, with assumptions being made about the worth of their lives compared to those of others. And perhaps that illustrates why it matters so much that we should constantly ask ourselves what it is we believe, and why we believe it, that we should be conscious of where our beliefs come from and where they're leading us to, because our beliefs quickly become enshrined not only in the shape of statues and altars like those Paul saw in Athens, but in the way we behave and live too, as individuals and as communities. And once they're enshrined, they're often unquestioned. Paul's reaction to all those shrines might seem a bit surprising to us. The Bible is gen generally very firmly fixed against statues that claim to represent God graven images, as the Ten Commandments put it. You might think, therefore, that Paul would be dead set against them, especially as they're to pagan deities. But he doesn't condemn them, and perhaps that's because he sees in them that the, the Athenians are enshrining and expressing what's most important to them. He seems especially impressed that in the midst of all these representations of gods and goddesses, there's one shrine to an unknown god. It's as if they've realised that whatever they can say about God is dwarfed by all they don't know, and that they can't assume they've got it all figured out. That means they need to question all the time. The real problem that the Bible has with idolatry, after all, is that whenever we try to portray God in some form, we inevitably make God smaller. We can't capture and portray infinity, and God is infinite. Even if we could portray it, it wouldn't fit on a pedestal or a niche in a wall. Paul honours the Athenians' search for God, their openness, their questioning, their willingness to admit that God can't be put in a box but is always unknown, has to be discovered over and over again. Paul quotes their own poetry to them and affirms that we are God's offspring, all of us together, and that it's in relationship rather than in cold, hard definitions that we'll most truly find God. Jesus makes the same point in the Gospel reading. It's the night before he dies. And as it turns out, it's the last meal he'll eat with his disciples. How will they cope without him, bearing in mind that they don't really still seem to have got what he's about? Well, they won't, is the answer. But they don't have to have all of life and Christian faith figured out. Because although he won't be physically present, he promises that he will not leave them orphaned. The Spirit will be with them to guide them and strengthen them. And through the Spirit, they'll be woven into the heart of God, constantly discovering more of his love and his faithfulness. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. And what are those commandments? They're to love, love, love. Whatever we do, he tells us, if it isn't love-shaped, it probably isn't of God. So both these readings, in a different way, ask us what we're enshrining, what our bottom lines are, the founding principles that guide us and keep us, the values which set us on this course or that. Like the Athenians, the truth is that we are all extremely religious, even if we don't think so. We believe things about ourselves and about one another and about our world. But what are they and how do they shape us? And most importantly, do they lead us into greater love, the love of God, or not? Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. As we share the peace, we hold in our minds those from whom we are separated, members of our congregation, our families, our friends, and we remember that in God's hands we are all held together. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Almighty God, who raised Jesus from the dead, and exalted him to your right hand on high, may we know your resurrection power in our daily lives, and look with hope to that day when we shall see you face to face, and share in your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. May Christ, who out of defeat brings new hope and a new future, fill you with his new life. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Mm -hmm.